Well, good morning, church and friends and guests. The Lord be with you. It is a beautiful Sunday morning, isn't it? With fresh snowfall, perhaps the first significant of 2023. How fun uh, to be gathered together this morning. There's a scene in the movie, the children's movie, Horton Hears a Who, and they chant, we are here, we are here, we are here. And that's going to be your phrase for our call to worship together this morning. You're going to state a very simple and true fact that we are here. And I'm going to surround it uh, with some other words inviting us into worship. So would you stand together and your line will be repeatedly, we are here. God invites us to worship and we are here. Some with laughter and songs of joy. God invites us to worship, and we are here. Some from a sense of obligation or habit. God invites us to worship, and we are here. Some with hearts heavy with grief. God invites us to worship, and we are here. Some with distraction or exhaustion. God invites us to worship, and we are here. Some with eagerness and enthusiasm. God invites us to worship, and we are here. Some with stress, loneliness, or depression. As God's dearly loved children, we bring all our joy and pain, all our hurt and our hope, into this place of spirit-given grace, love, and hope. Let's join our voices together singing in praise to the God who loved us and loves this world. Yeah. 
nations come lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting god so loved the school biology teacher liked a word. The word was chutzpah. Say it with me, chutzpah. It's a way of saying we have this wholehearted engagement, and he wanted us to engage biology in that way. Today, I want to invite you to engage our creed or our confession with some chutzpah this morning uh, with the energy of actually believing it, uh, because it's a great creed from the CRC tradition, a contemporary testimony called Our World Belongs to God. We'll do it back and forth together with the words on the screen, but let's do so with chutzpah this morning, okay? As followers of Jesus Christ, living in this world which some seek to control and others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust, our world belongs to God. From the beginning, through all the crises of our times, until the kingdom fully comes, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to God. God is king. Let the earth be glad. Christ is victor. His rule has begun. The spirit is at work. Creation is renewed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Still, despair and rebellious pride fill the earth. Our world, fallen into sin, has lost its first goodness, but God has not abandoned the work of his hands. God holds this world with fierce love, keeping his promise. He sends Jesus into the world, pours out the Holy Spirit, and announces the good news. Sinners who repent and believe in Jesus live anew as members of the family of God, the first fruits of a new creation. We rejoice in the goodness of God, renounce the works of darkness, and dedicate ourselves to holy living. As covenant partners set free for joyful obedience, we offer our hearts and lives to do God's work in the world. We are confident that the light which shines in the present darkness will fill the earth when Christ appears. Come, Lord Jesus, our world belongs to you. Amen and amen. I invite you to enter into a time of prayerful reflection as we are led in worship by our bell choir this morning.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have peace with God and with one another. Um, the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I invite you to exchange the sign of peace as you are comfortable and able. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tira. I am one of the pastors here, if I have not yet met you. Um, And, um, oh, that was the wrong entrance. I am one of the pastors here at Fellowship, (laughs) where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community that is centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe you've been here for a couple of Sundays and you are ready to take the next steps to get to know us a little bit better as a community, you can complete a card, the connection card, uh, which looks exactly like that. They're on the tables at the back of the sanctuary. You can uh, fill out one of those cards. You can take it over to the Welcome Center. There's some great folks there who would love to meet you, greet you by name, and help you to get to know us a little bit better. A couple of things for us this morning. First, you may have noticed on the seats, when you came in, there is a card, a little tiny card. I don't have one in my hand, but it um, is um, a lot of language about consistory and nominations, and there's some fun colors on there, and there's a QR code. Uh, We are in the season where we are taking nominations for elders and deacons um, to serve on our consistory. If you don't know what a consistory is, it's essentially our group of elders and deacons who support the work of care and worship and mission and leadership here at Fellowship. Um, On that card is a QR code that'll take you to a little bit more information about what our consistory does um, and why the people who serve on consistory love it so much. Um, And you'll also notice on the card um, is the opportunity to actually write in some names of some people um, in this congregation that you know, you can even nominate yourself, Um, some people that you know that you believe and you trust are equipped and suited to serve with us. So I would love to get your feedback there. You can fill out that card and you can place it in the boxes, both within the sanctuary and also outside of it, uh, or you can follow the QR code and you can do your nominations digitally. So um, if you are new with us, um, or if you've been here for a while and you are ready to take the step to not only get to know us better, but to also be a part, make it official, uh, make your presence in this community official, uh, we are hosting our Discover Fellowship class on Sunday, January 29th. Um, That is Um, next Sunday, 11.45 to 2.30. Ordinarily, Discover Fellowship is three weeks. Think of the time savings of doing it in just one session with lunch. There's gonna be lunch if that sways you. So uh, you can register for Discover Fellowship, um, get to know some folks within our congregation, um, and also get to know why we call this place home and why we love it so much, um, and the work and the mission that happens within and beyond um, our church. You can um, register using the QR code code in the bulletin. Lastly, uh, we are so immensely grateful for your partnership financially, and we are able to do so many incredible things. And in fact, over the last several months, we've done a couple of different um, kind of uninitiatives. And through those, we've been able to do some really important things. For instance, uh, we were able to share a $20,000 check to Maple Avenue Ministries, one of our, our sister churches in the area, to help replace their boiler. Good news, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were also able to contribute $10,000 to our loan principal, paying off debt, also good, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, with our global mission partners, we were able to share $40,000. Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so we are really excited for the ways that we get to partner with God um, through the use of our financial resources. Um, if you have not yet partnered with us financially, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. There's worship bowls in the back of the sanctuary. You can also give online and you can even mail, you can snail mail um, your gifts to us for us to use to glorify God. Um, at this time, kids ages through three through fifth grade are dismissed for kids programming, and everyone older than fifth grade, you are invited to stay in and join us in continuing to worship here. Let's stand together. Let's pray. It is indeed our prayer, O oh God, that you would pour your spirit out, 
that as we read and consider your word this morning, that we might see this world differently and be transformed more into your likeness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Doesn't it seem like some people seem to have that one exemplary moment that highlights their unique giftedness to this world, maybe a value that they held or a, a faith that they seek to embody? It doesn't define all of them, but it clearly highlights kind of their specialness, their uniqueness, their, the gift that they are to this world. Maybe uh, you have had the, one of those moments that you kind of look back on and like, that was my moment. You know, like uh, OBJ, which I heard some people don't know who OBJ is, Odell Beckham Jr.'s the catch. You know, when the Giants play the Dallas Cowboys, he gets jacked by the defensive, court, defensive back. He's falling backwards. He sticks his hand out, and it seems like he has super glue on his hands, and he catches it miraculously, falling backwards with one hand. A superhuman achievement, you might say. Or maybe it's a story of remarkable worldly significance. Like, you know, when uh, Neil Armstrong, the first human being, took a step onto the moon and he said that famous quote that you all know, right? This is one small step for man and one giant leap for humankind. Yes, that's right. Uh, or maybe it's a story of remarkable courage. Like when John Lewis led roughly 600 nonviolent protesters across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, straight into the brutal attacks of state, state troopers, which the footage from that event was a spark and a turning point in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. As one song says, these were these men's one shining moment frozen in time. No, just kidding. <laughs> Our current worship series that we're in the midst of right now are, is highlighting Jesus as our teacher. And yes, we know that Jesus is much more than a teacher as the front of our bulletin cover clearly states that he's our Lord, our Savior, our friend, among many others. But Matthew's gospel seems to lend itself particularly to highlighting Jesus as a teacher. And I think Jesus' one shining moment as a teacher the, an experience that clearly exemplifies him as a master teacher, not just in the Gospel of Matthew, but in all of the Gospels, in all of the Scriptures maybe even, is certainly got to be the Sermon on the Mount. As Ross, Pastor Ross highlighted a couple weeks ago, this is just one of the five teachings in Matthew's Gospel, but clearly the most well-known and certainly the most written about of all of the teachings of Jesus. Chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew are for Jesus as the master teacher, his miraculous catch, his one small step, his courageous march across the bridge. Interestingly, though, this three-chapter set of teaching, this roughly one half hour of teaching that Jesus, if you were to read it out loud in your Bibles this afternoon, for instance, doesn't jump right into teaching. No clear lessons, no you shoulds, you coulds, no reinterpretations of the law. No, not yet, not in the first 12 verses. Rather, this shining moment as a teacher starts with a set of blessings that we've come to know as the Beatitudes. Pastoral, poetic, concise aspirations of how life in Jesus' kingdom is so much different from the rest of the world. This morning, we are going to read from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. If you want to read along, please join me. But regardless, listen for the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. If the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' exemplary moment as a master teacher, then the Beatitudes seem to serve as a sort of preamble to the teachings. In the chapters that follow, which we encourage you to read along with us for the next couple of weeks, in those chapters, Jesus will describe and articulate what life with Jesus as your master teacher looks like, how to embody the faith, the true intent of the law, and the spiritual practices and the heart postures that move us towards faithful living. But before all that, Jesus starts with these beatitudes. And I'd like to contend this morning that they are like a preamble, maybe even like another famous preamble that we know that starts like this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty and posterity to do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States. The preamble to the Constitution is significant because, in its own words, as it describes itself, it succinctly states the ethos of the nation-to-be and provides a summarization of the articles of the Constitution to follow. The preamble paints a picture of what the Constitution is supposed to do, what the Constitution is supposed to instill in this new nation. It's a wide-angle view of all that's going to be detailed in the Constitution. Similarly, what if the Beatitudes offer us a succinct statement of the ethos of Jesus' kingdom that he embodies and teaches in the following chapters of his sermon? Just as the preamble envisions a book of law that differentiates itself from the monarchy which it was separating itself from, maybe more so the Beatitudes envision a kingdom reality counter to the kingdoms of this world. So, if the Beatitudes are this wide-angle view of the Sermon on the Mount, we must read them as such which means there are things that the Beatitudes do or purposes for, of, the, of the Beatitudes, and there's some things the Beatitudes do not do that don't serve its purpose. I'm kind of a bad news guy. Uh, I'm not a bad news guy. I'm kind of a good news guy. I like to start with the bad news so we can get to the good news. So I'm going to start first with what the Beatitudes are not. First, the Beatitudes are not a prescription on how to live. Like the preamble, the Beatitudes are not the law. They serve a different purpose. It's important to note before going any further who the audience of the the Beatitudes was or is. For The Sermon on the Mount was shared with Jesus' disciples. Jesus escaped the crowds, went up on a mountain like Moses, and he sat down like a good rabbi or teacher in those days and shared these, these blessings and these teachings with his followers. In Matthew, there's three primary audiences that he kind of talks about. There's the crowds, there's the religious leaders, and then there's his disciples. Jesus teaches each of them differently, but the sermon was intended for his disciples, those who had already hitched their wagon onto Jesus as their rabbi, as their teacher. It wasn't for those that were kind of on the fence. Ooh, is this Jesus guy the Messiah or not? Like some of the religious folks. It's not for the curious crowd people that just wanted to see, what's this Jesus guy up to? This was for those that were committed that had already decided that Jesus was their teacher. Jesus was their master. So the sermon as a whole, was intended to show these disciples how to live. But the Beatitudes are not that yet. They're not a prescription on how to live. Jesus uses no imperatives in the Beatitudes except for to rejoice amidst persecution. The Beatitudes are not something we have to do as disciples of Jesus. Take the second Beatitude, for example. Blessed are those who mourn. 
We don't pursue mourning. We don't try to mourn. We can't manufacture mourning inside of ourselves. Mourning is actually a response that we have a human response, a very human response to the pain, to the brokenness, to the hurt of this world. Or consider the eighth beatitude. Blessed are the persecuted. We don't seek out persecution in order to be a more faithful follower of Jesus. Persecution is a reality that some of us might face, that many of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are facing right now, every day, for the faith that they adhere to. But it is not a prescription to live faithfully. So the first thing that the Beatitudes are not is that they're not a prescription on how we are to live. And similarly, this may go without saying, but I think it's really important to note that the the Beatitudes are not a prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus. There's nothing, we know, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. That's already been done for us. For example, you would never say to someone, well, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you must embody the third beatitude of meekness. But, you know, at that middle school volleyball game some years ago, you drew a lot of attention to yourself. Therefore, you are disqualified from being a follower of Jesus. Or, you know, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you must embody the fifth beatitude of showing mercy. But I remember that one time that you were walking through downtown Chicago and you saw that person begging for money and instead of even making eye contact, you just turned and looked the other way. Therefore, you are disqualified from being a follower of Jesus. No, we don't believe that. That is not true. The beatitudes are not a list of things that we have to do to become a Christian. And they're not a list of things we have to do to be followers of as to be faithful followers of Jesus. Lastly, the Beatitudes are not otherworldly. We do well to resist the temptation to make the list of Beatitudes only a description of what heaven is going to be like, only an other reality type of situation. And this is seen most clearly in the first and the last Beatitude which the grammar of those is is present tense, for theirs is the kingdom. Not for they will be, for theirs is the kingdom right here, right now. Which indicates to me that this list of beatitudes is not a blessing just for some other world. It's intended for right now. I mean, why would Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn in the kingdom of heaven in eternity when other scriptures say clearly In that eternity, in that experience, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning itself. My hope is that I've created a little bit of curiosity for you that if the Beatitudes are not a list, a prescriptive list for disciples, and they're not a list of requirements for the disciples, and they're not a picture of some far off reality, you might be wondering, how are we supposed to read them now today? What was their purpose for the disciples And what's their purpose for us right now? It seems to me that the Beatitudes do two things for us. First, the Beatitudes serve as a pronouncement of what life in Christ's kingdom is like, the already and not yet fully realized kingdom of God. And second, the Beatitudes serve as an invitation to the disciples and maybe even to us to live differently. First, their pronouncement. Like the preamble to the Constitution, the Beatitudes boldly declare a new form of reign. The words in the preamble to our Constitution, read in the context of post-revolution America, are ripe with clues that this new government was going to be different from the previous government that they lived under. We, the people, are going to establish the laws. We, the people, not the king, the queen, the, the, the monarchy is going to establish the laws. And we're going to do it establishing justice, fairness for people, not a hierarchy of who is up and who is down, but justice, fairness for all people. And, our, and for the sake of our prosperity, not the monarch's prosperity. Similarly, the Beatitudes pronounce a new reign that was embodied by Jesus in opposition to the current order religious rule in Jerusalem, in Israel. I think the context of the sermon is very helpful, and Dallas Willard does a great job, of, and he's actually the one that taught me this this week, but, but he says that we can't read Matthew chapter 5 without knowing what happens at the end of Matthew chapter 4. 
We didn't read that this morning and we didn't read it last week, but at the end of Matthew chapter four, he narrates that Jesus was going all throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and healing the sick in the streets. And people from all over the place are coming to see Jesus, not just from Jerusalem, but from Galilee, from the Decapolis, and even from the far off places of Syria which is to say that there were outsiders, non-Jews that were coming to Jesus, unclean folks, you might say, demon-possessed, ailing, that's why they needed to be healed, the blind, the sick, the crippled, the very people who would be seen as unfit for temple worship, the very people that wouldn't be allowed into the inner circle of the Jewish rule, the outsiders, you and me were being healed and cured by Jesus. The same people that the old religious rule would have nothing to do with. But Jesus heals them. He cures them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then, that's at the end of chapter four, and then he goes up on the mount with his disciples and he begins this sermon with the pronouncements of blessings. Blessing, blessing. What if, what if the people that he is blessing in that moment are the same people he just encountered in the streets all throughout Galilee? And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You who come with no external faithfulness, acts of faithfulness, you who come with no birthright of belonging based on your descendants, you who come with no devotion to the law, but only an acknowledgement of your spiritual poverty, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, he says, are those who mourn for all the pain that they have endured, who can't seem to control their emotions, who can't help but experience sadness after all the pain that they have endured, all the hurt that they have had to go through. Jesus says, they are comforted by my presence. Then he says, blessed are the meek, the shy, the ashamed of what they have done and the people that wish that they were different, that they don't belong. He said, you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those of you who have been persecuted for trying to touch my cloak, for wiping my feet with your tears, with, with your hair, with the tears of your eyes, for trying to get into the pool, but just can't ever make it and may never and are ridiculed for it. Yes, yours, yours is the kingdom. What if Jesus was pronouncing a whole new religious order, no longer dependent on the external works, the measuring sticks of the religious folks, but ordained and blessed by Jesus because of what he had done for them? It's really quite remarkable that Jesus does this and then pronounces them blessed. Jesus acts and they are then blessed, not based on what they have done. Jesus' pronouncement of blessing, the Beatitudes, flips the religious leader's understanding on its head. But then again, maybe it flips our understanding of blessing on its head too. I did a quick cultural survey of uh, what blessed means in our society by searching this week on Twitter, hashtag blessed. You know what some of the top pictures that came up on the feed for Twitter for hashtag blessed are? Here's the first one. Hashtag blessed, I got my first boat, a super yacht. Meanwhile, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or how about this one? Hashtag blessed, I just ran my 18th marathon in another country. Look how fit I am, especially for my age. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Or how about this one? Hashtag blessed, my view is awesome, so therefore you should enjoy your night. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Or how about this one? Hashtag blessed, I got my first, I got some new shoes. YOLO, I'm gonna have a good day because of my kicks. Meanwhile, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or how about this one? Hashtag blessed, I just got my second D1 football offer. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. 
Hashtag blessed, I can now bench press 365 pounds. Look at me. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. Is there anything wrong, inherently wrong, with these hashtag blessed photos? No. Is it bad to have these accomplishments and celebrate them? No. But do they reveal a different kind of blessed life than the Beatitudes? It sure seems to be. The Beatitudes pronounce loud and clear for the disciples of Jesus a different kind of kingdom, a new world order, an upside-down way to the religious order of their day, and maybe even a different way than our world today, too. I like the way that ethicist Richard Hayes talks about this, these blessings in his book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament. He says, the Beatitudes line in upside-down reality. Or maybe more precisely, they define reality in such a way that the usual worldly order, way of, th- order of things is seen to be as upside down as seen to be upside down in the eyes of God. What if the Beatitudes are the pronouncement of God's preferred reality, and the world we live in is the upside down reality? How would you live differently? This is what the Beatitudes pronounce, but I also said that they're going to offer us an invitation. And I think they offer us an invitation to see things differently. First, the Beatitudes offer us a way of seeing ourselves differently. I, I imagine Jesus sharing these Beatitudes with us if he were to come, be here with us today, not in the form of a, a person up front in a large audience and, and, and all of us just hearing it from Jesus, but more like a pastor or a master teacher, or maybe most like a parent who comes alongside of you and puts their arm around you and takes a deep breath and looks right into your eyes and says, in the midst of your sadness, blessed are those who mourn, for I will comfort them. I see Jesus sitting next to you when you feel like you have nothing left in your tank weary of difficult, the difficulty of relationships, wondering how you'll ever have the energy to get through yet another day. And Jesus looks you in the eye and puts his arm around your shoulder and says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I, Je- I see Jesus sitting next to you when you're not sure if you're spiritual enough, questioning your faithfulness, wrestling with doubts that seem to never leave you, about this religion thing and skeptical of it. Jesus puts his arm around you and looks you in the eye and takes deep breath and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think the Beatitudes are an invitation to all of us amidst the pain and the hurt of this world, that we've, the wilderness moments that Pastor Tierra talked about just last week, to be seen by Jesus And oftentimes, in these times of being seen by Jesus in these wilderness moments, we see and encounter Jesus a little bit more clearly. I think the Beatitudes are also an invitation to see the world through Jesus' eyes, to see people the world does not value as hashtag blessed through the eyes of Jesus. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus followed the Beatitudes, these blessings, these 12 verses, with an affirmation of who the disciples were and and their role in this world by saying, you, disciples, are the light of the world. You, disciples, are the salt of the earth. Your small acts of faith, your efforts at living into Christ's kingdom as opposed to this world are the very avenues by which Jesus makes his new reign on earth as it is in heaven today. We may never be known in the world like OBJ for his catch or Neil Armstrong for his step or John Lewis for his march across the bridge. But we are invited to be blessed by Jesus by our acts of love and our deeds of grace towards those who Jesus sees as blessed. May we be that kind of people and that kind of community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
As we continue to contemplate the words of our Lord Jesus, let's stand and continue to sing together. God Friends, may you go uh, into this week attentive to the ways in which the Spirit uh, is leading you and guiding you and uh, paying attention to the upside-down nature of Christ's kingdom. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And all God's people said, go in peace.